We are um, in a series on kingdom parables, and as we've seen, parables are not just sermon illustrations, they're not just cute little stories to keep an audience engaged. Um, the audience already was engaged with Jesus, but his stories were intended to challenge and were intended to be this heart-level confrontation with truth. And uh, so oftentimes they were hard. Oftentimes they were like, whoa, wait a second. And they were like a little bit offensive to his hearers. And, and uh, so this morning we are going to look at one that has been a difficult one for many people to hear. And I'm talking about the parable of the unforgiving servant. So let's dive right in. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, of course, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and the payments, uh, and the payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. We're going to push pause on the story because you see the word talent and he's not talking about a skill. He's talking about a sum of money. Now it's difficult as you do the research on this. Some have it uh, uh, as like one year's wage. Um, I've seen some other sources that seem to uh, have a, a lot of scholarship behind them that put it as about a 20 years wage, okay? So if that's true, and some even more, right? But if that's true, you're talking about 10,000 talents, that's 10,000 times 20 years wage. That's 200,000 years of working. That's a lot of wages. Now if you bring that to today's economy, the average household income in Oregon is somewhere around $40,000. So just average, you could multiply that out and you would get a debt of $8 billion. Okay? Now here's what's funny. Okay, they must have laughed here. Here's what's funny. Really? You're going to pay that back? <laughs> yeah, okay. How are you going to do that? Who, who, is, who is possibly going to do business with you? You owe $8 billion, man. There's no way you're paying that back. You're done. Like, just, you're not paying that back. But he gets forgiven anyway. But that, that same servant went out after he's been forgiven $8 billion. He found out one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Okay? A denarii, again, a sum of money. How much is that? Well, most scholars would say somewhere around $10,000. A sum that you really can pay back. That's, you know, a car loan. As, uh, many of us have, you know, easily paid off, not easily, but you've taken a little time. It's not like you just write a check necessarily, although some can. You might have to take a little bit of time. But all you have to do is listen to Dave Ramsey for a couple sessions. Paying off 10 grand's nothing. This is very doable, in other words. He's forgiven 8 billion, and then he got a guy with 10 grand. And he chokes him. 
and demands it all. Incredible. And so he's going to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Yeah, that's going to help. That's going to be real good. Yeah. How can you pay me back? Well, I'm going to throw you in prison until you can. You can't pay him back if you're in prison. Good grief. This guy. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Like, dude, what is up with Bob? <laughs> like, good grief, man. And they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, so first let's remember this is not an allegory. The master is not representing God in everything that he's doing here. The whole point is that the master forgave a lot and the servant did not forgive even a little after he was forgiven a lot. Therefore, he's not going to be part of the kingdom. This is a parable of the kingdom. So, what in the world are we to take from this? Well, uh, what we're to take from this is uh, that the, the, the forgiveness... For a believer, for one who has been forgiven of Jesus Christ as part of the kingdom of God, is not optional. It's actually at the core of the gospel. And we forgive on the basis of what we have been forgiven. In other words, we forgive because he forgave. We don't forgive because the person who wronged us isn't really guilty or isn't really that guilty. Well, they really might be. We've all been legitimately wronged before. And it does no good why I forgive you because it's not that big of a deal. No, 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 no. No. If it's not that big of a deal, then they don't need forgiveness. It's like when someone steps on your toe. Like, I'm really sorry. I forgive you. That's a, that's a big word. Really, that's a time when it's like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Like, that's, you don't need this like, like, I forgive you. No, it's, it was an accident, okay? If someone comes up and, and kicks, your, he kicks you in the shin over and over again and, and, and then throws you, you know, off a train, that might be something you have to forgive, for real. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of a bigger deal. So that person is guilty. We don't forgive because it's not a big deal. You, you know one thing that, that irritates me is nowadays when you hear things like everybody deserves to be forgiven or everybody deserves a second chance. Like, I appreciate the sentiment because the sentiment is let's have mercy on people, right? But the wording is completely wrong. You don't deserve a second chance. We don't actually deserve any of that. Sorry, I'm popping here. Is that? I think it's my beard. I did that, and it's better, right? Oh, very cool. Okay. I should trim next time I speak. Sorry about that. So it, it's, we don't forgive because a person deserves a second chance. No. If they deserve something, then it's really wrong if we don't do it right away. It's like, you know what you deserve? You deserve the wages that you've worked for, right? And if you're an employer and you refuse to pay what somebody deserves, you should go to jail. It's not like a favor to do that. You see the difference here? So when someone does something wrong, it, we don't forgive because they really deserve it. No! That is not forgiveness. What makes forgiveness radical is that we don't deserve it, yet we still do it. Do you see that? 
Do you deserve to be forgiven by God? Do any of us? No. This is what makes grace so beautiful and so mind-blowing and so offensive at times. We forgive, not because it's not a big deal. We forgive because of him. Because of the radical way that Christ forgives us. This linking of our forgiveness and his forgiveness is very clear throughout the Gospels and especially earlier in Matthew when we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive as we also have forgiven our debtors. So those two things are inextricably linked in the Gospel. And here's what Jesus says two verses later. If you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that is a hard word, isn't it? But here's, here's the problem. Now, many of us probably hear a sting when we hear that. And for good reason. Because there's times where this concept of forgiveness has, has been misused um, or abused in ways. Um, I... I want to uh, uh, give a scenario here. And by the way, this book is fantastic. It's called The Art of Forgiving by Lewis B. Smeads. Um, I highly recommend this book on this topic um, if you want to go deeper into it. It's, uh, it's almost, he really walks through it in a very practical way. Um, and one of the things he does is he gives a scenario here, which I think is common. So I wanna, I'm just going to read out what he has here, okay? He says... Uh, he starts, he starts out, here's the heading, he starts out, is that uh, a reunion, in other words, re, like the reunification of people where there's, where there's been hurt, reunion may be uh, a threat, may be such a threat that it prevents a wounded person from really forgiving. And he gives this example. There was a serious religious woman being urged to forgive her former husband after 10 years of bruising violence. The elders of her church they were all male, were pushing on her conscience. As a Christian woman, you have a duty to forgive him. And she says, but I cannot forgive him. Not yet, maybe never. They say, the Apostle Paul says that God helps us to do the Christian thing. She says, the Apostle Paul was never punched in the mouth with a Christian fist. But it is your duty to take him back. She says, is it my duty to be beaten? If that's forgiveness, you can keep it. The discussion was over. But let's look at the dialogue again. The woman knew that when the elders told her it was her duty to forgive her husband, they really meant that it was her duty to go back and live with him. And when she said she could not forgive him, she really meant that she could not live with him. By turning forgiveness into an obligation to go back to the same abuse, she was robbed of a chance to heal the wounds that still scar her memory. The surest way to convince someone not to forgive is to tell them that if they forgive, they must go back to the person who wounded them. Are you with me here? This is not what forgiveness is. And because it's been talked about in that way, because it's been confused with reunification or confused with going back to that same scenario over and over again, many people have been like, I cannot do that. And you know what? They shouldn't. A person in that situation needs to be helped out of that situation so they can be safe and so their loved ones can be safe. 
Forgiveness does not mean you go back and you expose yourself to more violence. That is never what it meant. That is a demonic thing. And it's such a shame that's been twisted into forgiveness because there might be a scenario when things can never be that way again. Even if there is forgiveness, even if there's restoration, the damage could be done on this earth that we can't, you can't always go back to the way things were. It might not be the most loving thing for anybody in that scenario. Are you with me? So this is the reason why this can be hard, but I want to tell you that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not returning to those situations. Smeeds continues. He says, forgiving our enemy does not turn him into a close friend or a promising husband or a trustworthy partner. We do not diminish the wrongness of what he did to us. We do not blind ourselves to the reality that he is perfectly capable of doing it again. But we do take him back into our private world as a person who shares our faulty humanity. Raised like us, faulty like us, still thoroughly blamable for what he did to us. Yet human like us. Forgiveness surrenders the right to vengeance. It never surrenders the claims to justice. You see that? Forgiveness is a thing that happens in your heart. To give up the right, to surrender the right for, to vengeance, to never surrender the claims of, of justice. This woman is a hero. Her name is Rachel Den Hollander. Many of you might have heard of her because earlier this year she was all over the news and all over social media for a thing that happened. She had been a gymnast um, at, a, at a university and then for the United States uh, Olympic team. And uh, while she was uh, a gymnast, there was a team doctor that had been abusing her, um, sexually abusing her and many of the other girls and it had been reported and nobody was listening and the school was saying, that can't be, he's a doctor, no, no, and they kept pushing it on until finally, this, I, she fought it for like something like 15 years, finally they, uh, they listened and they brought this man to trial and he was found guilty on, uh, I think it was honestly hundreds of counts of sexual abuse and it was a horrific thing but she hung in there and she kept pushing she is a a wonderful Christian woman who has since become a lawyer in the in, uh, just in these years and uh, as she uh, was as the sentencing for this man Larry Nasser was going on the judge allowed her and all these other women to come and give a statement and this is part of a statement that she gave. I'd encourage you to watch the whole thing. Some of it's very difficult to listen to. It's a, a, over 30 minutes long um, and, and, and it's even some graphic at some points. But this, this clip, I think, gets to the heart um, of this issue. Araya? The cost, emotional and physical, to see this through has been greater than many will ever know. And Larry, I don't need to tell you what the cost of your abuse has been to me because you got to read my journals, every word of them because those had to go into evidence to make this happen. But I want you to understand why I made this choice, knowing full well what it was going to cost to get here and with very little hope of ever succeeding. I did it because it was right. No matter the cost, it was right. And the farthest I can run from what you have become is to daily choose what is right instead of what I want. 
You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires. A man defined by his daily choices over and over again to feed that selfishness and perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness and so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but later if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you can come to repentance and be forgiven. What does it mean to you that you forgive Larry Nasser? They asked her, Christianity Today asked her. Here was her response. It means that I trust God's justice. And I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him. And I trust God's justice. Whether he chooses to dispense that out purely eternally or both in heaven and on earth. You will not find a better example or definition of true forgiveness. She, she's a powerful woman and, and I hope that we can receive this from her. When God says, vengeance is mine, he's saying, trust in my justice. Pursue it on earth. Pursue it on earth. But don't make it a personal vendetta. There are some things that are just not going to be finished in this world. Many people have gotten away with terrible, horrible things. 
that they won't escape a just God. The parable came right after Peter asked Jesus this question. He came and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother, or shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, he probably thought he was being pretty magnanimous here because a lot of the rabbis said you forgive somebody up to three times for the same offense. Up to seven? Because I'm Peter. Jesus' response, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Or some translations say 77. It's tricky, the verbiage there. Now, I never knew this. I never realized this. Until recently, hearing Dr. Tim Mackey uh, uh, throw out this reference, and I was shocked by this. You know, Jesus is actually making a reference to something in, in Genesis here. I never knew this. It's a, hit it in, in the cracks of the Bible. It's right after the story of Cain and Abel. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain is extremely jealous of his brother, and so he seeks vengeance against him. And his vengeance against him is murder. So he kills Abel. And then, and then there's, you know, he goes on, moves on, and starts a city, and people come after him. And, and a few generations later, you have this, this man named Lamech. Lamech gives this poem. He writes this poem about how awesome he is. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I dabble in poetry here and there, but I've never done that before. Be, he does, and I'm going to read to you this poem out of this wonderful translation called the Schocken Bible. Um, and this is done so that you can hear the rhythm of, of the language, sort of like it would be in Hebrew. So just soak this in. Soak in the beauty of this poem here. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hearken to my voice. Wives of Lamech, give ear to my saying. I a man I killed for wounding me, a lad for only bruising me. I, if sevenfold vengeance be for Cain, then for Lamech, seventy-sevenfold. You think Cain gets sevenfold vengeance? I get seventy-seven. Or seventy times seven. Do you see that? Jesus is going directly against Cain here. He's going directly against all of human nature that says, oh yeah, well I'll show you and let's take it up a notch. And the other side says, oh yeah, we're going to take it up a notch. This is where you get the Hatfields and the McCoys, or the, the Crips and the Bloods, or all these things over and over. You know what always happens? It's a cycle. It's the cycle of vengeance where one side always feels like the greater victim. And the other side always feels like the greater victim. You see that? So you can never quite, it's just like, no, you guys were worse and they do something and go, oh yeah, well it's not as bad as you guys, you guys did that thing first and that's, that's Lamech. That's what we have in the world. That's what our political system has become, a blood feud. This is what we have in front of us and Jesus says, no, my way and the way of my followers is not the way of Lamech. He says, I take vengeance 77-fold. Jesus says, I forgive 77-fold. Do you see how different this is? This kingdom of God. It is adamantly opposed. It cuts against all of our desire to get even. It cuts against that. And he says, no, not in my kingdom. Not in my kingdom. 
That's not the way we do this. This is a new way to be human, as the song says. It's a new way to be human, that we follow what Jesus says, and we forgive even those who have legitimately wronged us. I love the summary of that, of what Jesus says. Comparing it to Lamech, the unlimited revenge of primitive man has given place to unlimited forgiveness of Christians. So much forgiveness, just so much. Just a lot of forgiveness going on. A lot of releasing of vengeance, a lot of forgiveness. That's what the church is supposed to be, a haven for forgiveness because it's a whole bunch of Jesus people. We don't think lightly of justice. No, 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 no. We go after justice. But vengeance is his, so we give it to him. And we can follow leaders like Rachel Denhollander and say, we're not going to slack up on justice, but we are going to pray for forgiveness, even for our enemies. Just like Jesus on the cross, crying down for the people who were currently killing him. To say, Father, forgive them. Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom is uh, one of the heroes of the 20th century. Many of you know who she is. She uh, had, with her family, hidden Jews from the Nazis during World War II and was eventually taken captive and put in a concentration camp. And she uh, ended up surviving that experience. Her sister did not survive that experience, but she did. And she came out. Um, as a, a, an amazing apostle of the Lord after that. And here's one of the quotes. Here's, she describes early on in that experience. She says, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing and we had to stand naked in front of them. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible says they took his garments and he hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And in my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. You see, we can forgive because of what he has done. Do we have the power in and of ourselves? No, probably not. But we do it with him. We do it because of his lavish forgiveness. We come after and say, Lord, if you can forgive me my debt, then surely I can forgive him his debt towards me. That's what happens. Corey Ten Boom ended up in a, a scenario that, that is widely told for many years. And I'm going to show this one. Um, th this is actually a clip from the Alpha course, which is a um, fantastic video series that we show here. So I want to take this last clip, and this is setting up Nicky Gumbel. He's going to set it up for us here, and then we're going to hear the actual voice of Corey Tenboom. Right. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin, and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Boom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards, 
in the concentration concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then, I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either, but he can. Can you forgive? No, but he can. He can. And he fills us up. And it's by his strength, it's by his strength that we're able to follow in what he did on the cross and forgive. This is what he's called us to, friends.